Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Today, uh, I'm so excited to share part two of Bloodline. We kicked this series off last Sunday, uh, and we talked about the everlasting covenant that Jesus made with us. Um, And so our thought is Bloodline, and that word literally means the direct line of descent or a pedigree. We, We learned that God has given us an everlasting covenant through the blood of Jesus. It is the last covenant mentioned in all the Bible, but it is the first covenant that God made. And we'll get into some of that a little bit later, but look at Hebrews chapter number 13 this morning. Hebrews chapter number 13, verses 20 and 21. It says, now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead. Anybody thankful that Jesus got up on the third day? Brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of of the everlasting covenant. I want to just say that one more time. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant, may he make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We serve a covenant-making God. We, when, whenever you read the scripture, you see that God makes covenants with his people. He made covenants with nations. He's a covenant-making God. He made covenants with Adam in the Old Testament, with David, with Noah, with Moses, many people that he made covenants with. And we know that a covenant is different than a contract because with a covenant, there is a spiritual dimension to a covenant. And oftentimes within scripture, in the context of scripture and the way God did things, that is when there was a covenant made, there was also blood that was being shed. All right? Blood being shed. Very important to understand that. And so God made an everlasting covenant. An everlasting covenant. And this is a covenant that we read about. It's the last one we see in scripture, but the first one God made. The last one we see in scripture, but it, it's, the, it's the first one that God made. So, so God did not seal this first covenant though until 2,000 years later when Jesus came, when, when Jesus came and shed his blood for you and I. Now, how do we make sense of that? How, how, do, how do we look at a covenant in scripture and it's the last covenant that God made, but it's really the first one. Like we, we read it as the last, but it is the first one. How do we make sense of that? Well, we have to understand that Jesus was the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world. So, so when God made this covenant, he had already in his heart crucified his son. Already in God's heart, God God took counsel with himself. When he could swear by nobody else, he swore by himself. And so in God's own heart, this everlasting covenant, this last covenant, God had that in his heart at the very beginning. And so this new covenant, though, I want you to get this, it is not based on your works of righteousness. It's not based on your ability to keep the law. 
2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus became sin, though he never sinned. He became sin, though he never sinned himself. Jesus did not sin, but he became sin. You didn't do righteousness, but you became righteous. Now, this is so powerful when we understand this because people do not become righteous because of the right, because they do the right thing. People are righteous because Jesus did the right thing. Anybody thankful that Jesus did the right thing? Religion tells you, you got to do the right thing. And I'm not saying we don't live right, but I'm saying you're not righteous because you did right. You are righteous because Jesus did right. And so it's, it's not the doing, it is the being. When you change your being, when you change your identity, it changes your doing. You are not a human doing, you are a human being. Does that make sense to anybody? Uh, but religion will tell you, you got to do, do, do. But, but relationship with God and the gospel is not about you doing, it's about what Jesus already did. And it's a powerful concept because 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What does that mean? Because all things have become new, I now have the propensity to do the right things. I don't do the right things to become new. I'm already new in Christ, and now I have the capacity, the propensity to do the right things. Anybody following me today? I'm a new cre creation. I'm a new creature. I'm a new being in Jesus. And it's all based on the blood of the covenant that was sealed through the blood of Jesus Christ. He shed his blood, and he, and, and he shed his blood in a trail. We, we looked at that last week. We're going to look at it again today. He shed it in a trail so that he could provide healing and wholeness to every area of your life. See, salvation is not a deal between you and God. Salvation is a deal between God and Jesus. We can go to the house right now. Salvation is not a deal between you and God. God took counsel with himself. And he sealed a covenant before you ever showed up. He sealed a covenant before Jesus ever, ever came. You are not saved because you're good at standing. The Bible says God is able to make you stand. You are saved because he is good at making you stand. You are not saved because you're a good follower. You're saved because Jesus is a good leader. You are not saved because you've never fallen down. You're saved because he's good at picking you back up. I'll find somebody in a minute to preach to. You're not saved because you're good at repenting. You're saved because he's really good at forgiving. Can I get a witness in the church on Resurrection Sunday morning? It's not what you've done. It's what he's done. So God made a deal with himself. He made a deal with Jesus. And this covenant works for everyone who believes and professes. So Jesus sealed this covenant through the shedding of his blood. We simply have to activate that in our lives. We have to apply the blood of Jesus. How many of you grew up in church where they taught, taught you to plead the blood? Anybody ever pleaded the blood in here? 
All right, we, we got to do some teaching. All right, pa- we, Pastor Jeff, we got to do some teaching. We, we have to learn how to plead the blood. What, what do I mean by, how do we apply what Jesus provided? How do we do that? Uh, and the reason it, it's an important question is because in the Old Covenant, the priest would enter into the tabernacle and he would go into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle the blood, watch this, of a dead animal on everything in there. And what he was doing is he was applying the blood of a sacrifice to cover not only himself and the furniture and the the place of worship, but he was making atonement for all the people. Now, what you got to understand about the priest is that the priest was, was sprinkling the blood not just for the people, he had to do it for himself. How many of you understand Jesus didn't have to sprinkle blood for himself? Like he, he didn't have to do it for himself. But in the old covenant, they would sprinkle the blood. But we learned last week when God created Adam, Adam did not receive blood genetically. He did not have a mom or a dad. So when God spoke him into existence and breathed into him the breath of life, not only did he deposit spirit in Adam, but he deposited blood in Adam. That's why I'm calling this series Bloodline because we, thankfully, we are of a new bloodline. Come on, anybody thankful that you're a part of a new bloodline that Jesus has provided? And so they would apply the blood by by sprinkling it, and this is a revelation, and some of you are going to catch it today. We don't apply the blood by sprinkling it. We apply the blood by saying it. See, we, we've lost this in the church. We've lost the power of confession because Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. There's not a container of Jesus's blood sitting on my counter at the house and every time something's going wrong, I go get that jar and I sprinkle the blood. I don't have to have his physical blood in a jar. He says that life and death is in my words and the same power that spoke Adam into existence that gave him breath, pneuma, spirit, life, and blood is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, and it's also the same spirit that lives on the inside of me, and when I confess the Word of God, I am applying the Word of God. Can I preach on Easter like this? Some of y'all want me to go get a chair and sit down and talk, I know. But I get excited when I, when I read this, when I talk about this. Do you remember when Jesus had, he had thousands of people following him? And, and I think it's John, John 6. I hope I, somebody's going to email me and say, you said that wrong. Um, but I think it's John 6. Uh, if it's not, you got to forgive me, all right? But I think it's John 6. He had thousands of followers. And everybody's lined up because they want fishes and loaves. They want blessing. They want miracles. And Jesus stopped them all in their tracks, thousands of people, and he said this. He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part with me. And the Bible says that the multitudes left. Can you imagine what they were thinking in that moment? Like, are you talking like cannibalism? (laughs) But Jesus, we, we know even when we receive communion, how many, we're not literally eating his body. We're not literally drinking his blood. 
There is a spiritual dimension that when God spoke into Adam, not only did he give him spirit, but he gave him blood. And when we receive communion, we're not physically taking in his body and blood, but by his spirit, how many of something is happening in our lives when we take of his body and his blood? And the same principle works here. Now check this out. The resurrection, Easter Sunday, validated him shedding his blood. All the things that he provided in his blood was validated on the third day when he got up. Now we're going to walk through this because we're, we're going to pray some things over you and then I'm going to preach some more, all right? We're going to do this different today. But the first, the first place that he shed his blood was Gethsemane. And this is so important because Adam had lost his authority in a garden. And Jesus, now in Gethsemane, finds himself in a garden. And how many of the real victory wasn't really the cross? It was the moment in the garden when his sweat became great drops of blood that he said, not my will, but your will be done. At that mo moment, Satan was defeated right there. There was no chance that Satan was going to stop what he was about to do. And so he shed his blood in Gethsemane to heal, to heal my desires. I want you to get this. God wants, wants to give you a divine want to. Where you want to pray. You want to read the word. You want to come to church. I mean, how many Christians do I meet where I just don't feel like it? Well, in Gethsemane, he shed his blood to give you a want to. Uh, Y'all not ready for me today. You look cute and you're ready for dinner, but I, I, I'm ready for God to speak to us. Amen. I, I want a word from God today. Listen, not only in Gethsemane, secondly, he, he shed his blood in Caiaphas', Caiaphas' house. That's hard to say with, when you put another S on it. There were 600 soldiers that continued to beat Jesus. And he shed his blood at this place for the healing of my image. The image of Jesus was marred, is what the Bible says. The image was messed up when Adam fell in the, in, the, in the first garden. And a lot of the sin that people get stuck in is because they don't, they don't see the right things when they look at themselves. All they see is the negative things. All they see is that they are broken, that they are messed up. All they see is how others have categorized them. But when we don't see ourselves the way God sees us, it, it, it becomes a, a, a hurdle that many people never get past. A lot of people, their biggest enemy, and this, this works for a lot of us, our biggest enemy isn't anything out here. Our biggest enemy is what's looking back at us when we look at the mirror. But at this place, God was saying through the shedding of his blood that I'm going to heal your image. I want to ask you a question. The devil is working so hard at trying to beat you up. Why are you helping him? Some of us have such a messed up image that we cannot even take a compliment. I used to be like that. Somebody give me a compliment. Oh, shut up. But we can't even take a compliment. We deflect because we, we have an image problem. And I'm not talking about being egocentric, self-absorbed, any of those things, self-centered. I'm talking about the fact that you were created in the image of God after his likeness. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
that, that Jesus, he shed his blood there to heal our image. And we have an image problem in the world. Some of the guys are going to be real mad, but being macho all the time, that's an image problem. Racism is born from people with the wrong image. Eating disorders, image problems. The way people treat others, many times, many times it's the result of image problems. Jesus, the Bible says, he offered up his beard. He was marred. Isaiah the prophet uses the word visage. His visage was marred more than any other man. They plucked his beard and they beat him punched him in the face. And I, I just want to say it like this. Jesus allowed his face to be distorted so that yours could be healed. So that when you look at the mirror, you don't have to hate what you see, but you can understand you were created in the image of God and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Anybody thankful that he heals our image? He heals our image. The third place was Pilate's place. And there we learned that by his stripes... We are healed. It's for our physical bodies. It's all right for you. Let me say it like this. It's okay and proper for you to believe that Jesus can heal your body. There's a lot of people that struggle with the concept of healing. You don't have to be healed to be saved, but you don't have to be sick to be saved either. And, and we believe, just in case you are a first-time guest, I hope you come back. I'm not always wide open like this, but... I, I am pumped up. We, we believe that Jesus still heals and that it's proper for you to pray for healing. And, and, and though some people don't get healed, how many of people, we, we win either way, even if you die. How many of you get a new body over there? The devil don't win no matter how you put it. And I just want to say we love you. We're thankful for you. We'd like to keep you a little while. So let's believe that by his stripes, we are healed. Come on, somebody, give God a praise on Easter Sunday. I'll be short with these last few. The fourth place was the crown of thorns. The crown of thorns was placed on Jesus' head for the healing of my mind. Stinking thinking. Jesus wants to heal you of that. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That our, that our lives move in the direction of our thoughts. The crown of thorns tells us that our mind can be healed. They also pierced his hands. This is the healing for my work. In the Old Testament, we, we, they were under a broken covenant. When Adam sinned, this covenant God had made was now broken. And we saw in Cain and Abel that now they were using their hands to, to create violence, to strike one another. The Bible says at one point the, the earth was so filled with violence that God re repented that he made it. Like, like why, I need to do something about this. Everyone's using their hands for violence and to strike other people and to do negative things. But Jesus was pierced in his hands so that everything I put my hands to can be blessed. I don't, I don't use my hands to bring harm to people. I use my hands, as Jesus said, to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. I, I use my hands to bless people, not curse people. The sixth place, they pierced his feet for the healing of my walk. The scripture says he will deliver my eyes from tears and my feet from stumbling. That the blessed man walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, 
that his word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, that he will put all my enemies, watch this, under my feet. He shed his blood for my walk. They pierced him in his feet to heal my walk. The seventh place that he shed his blood is they pierced him in his side. This is for the healing. If you're taking notes, you need to write this down. It's for the healing of my fellowship and the healing of my relationships. When they pierced Jesus in the side, you, you, you have to remember when God created Eve, what did he do? He opened Adam's side up and he pulled Eve out of Adam. And Adam said, this is bone of my bone and this is flesh of my flesh. The scripture says that when they pierced Jesus in the side, that blood and water came out. It, it, it's a sign of something that's being birthed. So God pulled Eve, Adam's bride, out of Adam's side, and God has now pulled you and me, the church, out of Jesus' side. And the reason I can come boldly to the throne of grace is because Jesus pulled me out of his side. They pierced him in his side. I can be healed in my relationships. I don't plead this blood by sprinkling it. I plead this blood by saying it. And so right now, in the, in the name of Jesus, if you would, if you feel comfortable, I just want you to close your eyes. I'm gonna keep preaching in a minute, but I, I wanna activate this. I wanna just close your eyes. If you wanna lift your hands, whatever you want, I just wanna pray over you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you shed your blood in all of these different areas. God, to bring healing and wholeness to us. God, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would heal our desires, that you would give us a divine want to, that we would desire spiritual things, that ungodly desires would be dried up now in the name of Jesus. God, we pray right now for the healing of our image, that the blood of Jesus is changing the way that I see myself, that Jesus's blood is against every negative word that has ever been spoken over your life. We break every word cursed by the blood of Jesus. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, that the blood of Jesus has also paid for my healing. Any dis-ease or disease, we speak healing over it now, over every infirmity, God, that by your stripes we are healed I pray that tumors dry up in the name of Jesus that cancers be healed in the name of Jesus that your blood Jesus would be against every disease that you would deliver your people I pray God for those God that are struggling in their mind God that you would heal their mind we break the spirit of worry and the spirit of fear that lives in the mind we break panic disorders God and paranoias we break phobias in the name of Jesus we break mental depression in the name of Jesus. We break confusion and the racing of the mind that your blood was shed so that my mind could be healed. God, I speak life over every person's work that the blood of Jesus heals our work. My hands were not created to harm, but my hands were created to reach out and bring healing. God, we pray in the name of Jesus, you would help us to rise up. God, to operate in the gifts you have given us that we would use your, our hands that you have given us, God 
God to extend your kingdom that our hands were made for worship so that we should clap our hands and lift our hands without doubt and wrath God and God we ask that you bless the work of your people's hands in the name of Jesus and God we pray also God for our feet God Lord the healing of our walk God that many people are lame spiritually God they're, they're, they got a place of lameness in their life they can see where they want to go God but they don't know how to walk it out the blood of Jesus was shed to heal our walk you will you will walk before us God and you will make the crooked places straight and God you will keep those whose hearts are, are towards you God you will keep us in perfect peace and though we may walk through the valley of the shadow of death God you are with us in the midst of that that your blood is against anything that would trip us up and God we thank you for the healing of our fellowship and our relationships that when they pierced your side Jesus my relationships can now be healed I pray that marriages be put back together in the name of Jesus that sons and daughters be saved in the name of Jesus people that were estranged to God God that we would be able to reconnect to them God and that you would bring healing for every relationship God and we ask it all in Jesus name if you receive it give him the best praise you have all day come on church Come on, give him a praise in the house today. We don't apply the blood by sprinkling it. We apply the blood by saying it. Woo! Happy Easter. Welcome to church. Somebody's getting a hold of it. Come on, slap your neighbor a high five. Tell him, tell him, apply the blood. Apply the blood. Y'all just got to excuse me while I pray today. Right in the middle of my sermon. See, God is not mad at you. He's not mad at you. God has too much invested in you to be mad at you. God has already paid the price so that you could be in relationship with him. And he wants to remove anything in your life that's in the way of what he wants to do. He's not upset with you. He got up so that we can get up. I would encourage you to take 15 minutes Every day. You don't, it's not that you got to spend three hours doing this, but take about 10 or 15 minutes. If you get stuck in traffic, start declaring all those promises we just did. Start declaring that over your life. Instead of cussing people when you're stuck in traffic, start pleading the blood of Jesus. Somebody help me today. Instead of losing your mind, come on, ask Jesus to heal your mind. Now, check this out. I believe that when we do this and we apply the blood by speaking it, that we will enter into a different zone. And that's where I'm going now with the last half of this. Ephesians chapter two, verses four through six. It says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. When we say when Jesus got up, you got up, we mean that. 
When Jesus got up on the third day, you and I also got up. That when we give our life to Christ, we are now seated with Christ in a heavenly place. We don't have to change position physically or geographically to be in a heavenly place. John was left for dead on the Isle of Patmos, and the Bible says while he's there, being, he's left for dead, that he, was, that, that he was caught up in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and Jesus invited him to come up higher. There was no evidence that his feet ever left the ground. But we know that he came up higher. Paul, with sewage running over his feet in a Roman prison, he made this proclamation. He says, he has raised me up and made me to sit in a heavenly place. Heavenly places has nothing to do with zip code. It has nothing to do with being in a gated community. You can live in a gated community and still want to die. You, you can have the best office in the city overlooking the city and still want to take your own life because position can't do this for you. Money can't do this for you. Heaven, heavenly places has nothing to do with where you live or what you drive. It has nothing to do with anything in the natural, any, any circumstance that, that you're faced with today. That heavenly places is about being in Christ. That when I'm in Christ, I am raised up into a heavenly place. And so last week, we know that when it was all over and Jesus had died, he went into Abraham's bosom. Y'all remember this, right? This is where I got real pumped up and almost kicked this over. But the scripture says that he preached himself to those that had died. He preached himself to those that had based on the covenant they had then before Jesus came, the best they could, the animal sacrifices, those who had been obedient, they were not in hell because the devil did not have charge over them, but they were not in heaven because the way had not been opened yet. And so Jesus preached himself. And so it was there that, that he preached himself to such a degree that the revelation hit home. They realized in the moment as Jesus is preaching there, that it's why Abraham probably thought in the moment, that's why I had to sacrifice Isaac. They thought in the moment, that's why, Joseph probably said, that's why I had to go through the pit to get to the palace. That, that's why this revelation hit when Jesus began to preach himself to them because the scripture says, the earth began to shake I, we're just going to call it a revival broke out in Abraham's bosom. He snatched the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He led captivity captive. And when he rose up on that third day, they got up with him. There was so much life when Jesus rose from the dead that the people who had been dead for a long time, catch this, this is in your Bible, they were seen walking around in the city. There was a revival that broke out when Jesus preached himself. How can he ascend unless he first descend? Hebrews tells us that by his own blood, he has purged the heavenly sanctuary. Jesus ascended into the heavens, taking his own blood, just as Moses would take the blood of animals and sprinkle it in the earthly tabernacle. Jesus has now purified the heavenly tabernacle. Now here's a little nugget for you. This won't cost you anything. The heavenly tabernacle had been defiled by Satan. 
A lot of people don't know this. Satan was the worship leader. And he got the boot. And he got the boot, watch this, because he stopped allowing worship to go through him. And he started making worship go to him. And the heavenly tabernacle was defiled because you can imagine, how many of that's going to leave a bad taste in God's mouth? Like, he's not going to be happy about that. But the scripture says that Jesus took his own blood into the heavenly sanctuary, purging it with his own blood. This is so powerful. The last place that Jesus, that we see the blood of Jesus, that most people fail to talk about, is the fact that he took his own blood into heaven. He sprinkled his own blood there purging the heavens so that heaven could now be open to you and I. See, at that moment, heaven was closed off. It wasn't until Jesus walked into the heavenly holy of holies himself and sprinkled his own blood, not like the priests in the Old Testament that had to sprinkle the blood for themselves and the people. How many know when Jesus took his blood into the heavenly sanctuary, it wasn't for himself, but it was for you, that no matter where you're at in life, Jesus is saying, I have opened up a way. I have made a way where there was no way. You now have access to all that is in heaven. See, Jesus was making a way. He was clearing space for you and I. See, in the Old Testament, the heavens were closed. And I don't want to mess anybody's warfare theology up. Because we got a lot of warfare people. They're always fighting devils. Chasing devils, cursing devils. And in the Old Testament, there was a lot of warfare and you had people like Daniel who would pray and then 21 days it took to get the answer to the prayer because everything was being held up in the second heaven. And that's why he prayed and he fought. Now, I'm gonna say right here in case somebody sends me an email, I believe there are times we have to stand, we have to fight, we gotta throw punches in the spirit, if you will, we gotta do all of that. But sometimes we need to understand that if we could get up under the blood of Jesus, we don't have to wait 21 days for the heavens to be cleared out. The heavens have already been cleared out. Jesus has already made a way. That's why the prophet said before, while they're still praying, I will answer them. Before you even get the prayer out, God's saying, I'll answer it. If you can get a revelation of the blood of Jesus, when you step into prayer, you'll understand that you now have access to everything that is in heaven. I don't have to spend three hours fighting devils, cursing devils, casting out devils. I can go in there and plead the blood of Jesus over my life and understand that I have access to everything that's in heaven. And the last time I checked, there's no sickness in heaven. Nobody's broke in heaven. Nobody has disease in heaven. I have access to all that Jesus has made available. So now we're going to switch gears. Y'all are like, when's he quitting? I don't know. I may just be getting started. Somebody say the blood. blood. All right. Now watch this. The blood of Jesus is a hedge. I think we've heard that so much we don't even realize what it means. The blood of Jesus is a hedge. Now this caused me to think about the book of Job. Because people have been arguing about the book of Job for, for centuries over all that's in the book of Job. And I'm not gonna get lost in all the details of that, but there is a part of this that I find very interesting. In Job chapter number one, verse number five, 
It says, so it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them, talking about his children, and, and would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did, thus Job did regularly. This Job did, I said thus, this. This Job did regularly. Offerings here is, it's implying to us the shedding of blood. When it says that Job got up every morning to offer these offerings, he was shedding the blood of animals to worship God and, and he was shedding the blood of animals on behalf of his entire family. And, and, and it even tells us, maybe my sons have sinned. And so Job is doing this because Job is building a hedge around his family. Job's offering this sacrifice to put a hedge. Now, if you know the story of Job, you know that in Job chapter 1, that Satan comes before God. And, and Satan is not the one who brings Job up. Have you ever noticed that? God is the one who brought Job up. And, and the accuser, here's what we have to understand about Satan. The accuser has been cast down. Satan is not omnipresent. He is like, he's not a roaring lion. He is like a roaring lion. And the Bible says that he goes to and fro throughout the earth. And so God asked Satan, he said, where have you been? And Satan said, I've been going to and fro across the face of the earth. And God says, have you considered my servant Job while you've been running around? Have you considered him? And look at verses 10 through 12. Here's Satan's response. Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on, on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, they came to Job shortly after this, this exchange between Satan and God. They came to Job shortly thereafter, and they told Job, hey, Job, all of your ox and all of your sheep, all of your animals are dead. Everybody say dead. All right? Now you say, well, Pastor, what, what, what's the significance? Here it is. When the enemy believed that God would take the hedge down for a season, the first thing the enemy touched was Job's ability to offer blood. We just read, every morning he went out, sacrificed an animal, worshiped, because the shedding of blood, blood, the blood of Jesus, we know in the New Testament, it's a hedge. Job was trying to put a hedge around his family by offering the blood of sheep and the blood of ox. And the enemy knew that if he takes all the ox and he takes all the sheep, all the animals that Job owns, if he takes all of them out, then Job will not have the power to sacrifice an animal and Job will no longer be able to build a hedge around him and his family. The point is this, Job was functioning under the hedge that God honored based on what they had in the Old Testament. 
If God allowed a hedge to be built around Job with the blood of an ox or the blood of a sheep, do I have to preach this? If, if that blood built a hedge around him, then what in, what in the world do I have available to me by the blood of Jesus Christ? What, what kind of hedge is around your family? What kind of hedge is around your substance and your money and your relationships and the things that you have? Watch this, and we know the power of it because when God starts restoring things back to Job, the first thing he restored back to him was animals. He gave Job the ability to shed blood again, to apply the blood again, to worship again. Do you know every time we come in here and lift our hands and sing songs to Jesus, we are literally applying the blood of Jesus and building a hedge around us? That's why I've never understood people that come to church and sit there. Happy Easter, y'all. I, I just never really understood it. Like, you need to read the Bible. Apply the blood to your life. Apply it to your relationships. Apply it to every part of your life. Now, here, here's the thing. As the worship team comes back, check this out. There's five things I saw here. I'm just gonna give them to you, and then we're gonna pray. The blood of Jesus, first of all, is a hedge to myself. It's a hedge to myself. Satan said, you have, you have put a hedge around Job. That was what Satan said. Like when, when, when God said, have you considered Job? Satan's first thing was, you've put a hedge around him. I, I can't touch him. I can't do anything to him. So when, when I pray, one of the things I need to pray about is God, I just plead the blood of Jesus over my life. That, that you would put a hedge around me. The second thing that we see in this text in the book of Job, the blood of Jesus is a hedge to my home, my family, and my children. That the blood of Jesus become a hedge. You can apply the blood of Jesus to your house, to your children, to your family, to your relatives. You say, I don't like my relatives. They still need a hedge. <laughs> They still need a hedge. The third place. Before I read that, do you remember the firstborn of Egypt? Y'all remember that? The death angel took out the firstborn of all those in Egypt, but the, when the angel saw the blood of the lamb, he had to pass by. Man, this thing rocked me this week. I, I had Karen, I don't know what time it was. It was like midnight. I'm like, you gotta come in here. Look at what I'm seeing. I wanna make sure I'm not crazy. This thing's powerful. And I think we've lost the art of applying the blood through confession and prayer. We, we just, we're taking too much junk from the devil that we shouldn't have to take. Thirdly, the blood of Jesus is a hedge over my substance. The devil said, you got to hedge around him, his family, and all that he has. All his substance. It's talking about your stuff. Hit your neighbor and tell him your stuff. Listen, you can live without stuff, but if you have some stuff, you might as well plead the blood over that stuff. Some of y'all going to know what I'm talking about. I ha I've had some cars that only ran because of the blood of Jesus and the word of my testimony. Some
sometimes the blessing's not in a new ride. Sometimes the blessing is that car still starts and it still runs. Don't make no sense. But the blood of Jesus is a hedge over my stuff. Go ahead and stand up today. <laughs> Watch this. I'm almost done. Don't sit back down. Or I'll preach again. There are only two voices in heaven. The voice of the intercessor and the voice of the accuser. Jesus obviously is making intercession for you and I. Satan is there and he's continuously saying, they only serve you because you take care of them. They only serve you because everything in their life is all right. And, and, and here's the thing, you have to make an agreement with one of those two voices because you are either an accuser or an intercessor. Stop talking about folks and start praying for them. Get off the devil's team and get on Jesus' team. So pray over your stuff, put a hedge over it. Number four, the blood of Jesus is a hedge over my job, my place of employment, my work, my vocation, and my business. I can plead the blood over where I work, over the workplace, over the employee. If you run a business, I would plead the blood over your employees. Plead the blood over business transactions, that we can plead the blood over this area of our life. And the final thing is that the blood of Jesus is a hedge over my influence. We would use the word favor right here. Favor. Favor is really influence. We plead the blood over our influence. When your name, I'm just, going, I'm just going to prophesy to some people right here. When your name is mentioned, I believe people are going to start speaking favorably about you. That when you start a business, it's going to prosper. That, you're, that, that we're going to plead the blood over that shop, over that business. Oh, that God is going to open up doors. That your resume is not going to fall off into the trash. It's going to rise to the top of the stack. Anybody receive that today? Influence and favor through the blood of Jesus. Is anybody thankful that we're a part of a new bloodline that Jesus has made available? Come on, give him the best praise you have all day. Yeah. Woo. I ain't preached this hard on an Easter in a long time. I want you to bow your head, close your eyes, no one looking around. We do all that we do for this moment. I believe somebody's about to go from death unto life, from having no hope to having the hope that Jesus has made a way where there was no way. He opened up the heavens and gave us access to heaven through his son Jesus and the shedding of his blood. And the scripture says we apply this blood by believing it and professing it. And so today we're going to give you an opportunity. If you don't, do not know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, we want to give you the opportunity to invite him into your life and into your heart today. As every head is bowed, every eye is closed, no one looking around. If that is you today and you say, Pastor, I need Jesus to save me. I need him to forgive me. I, I need to rededicate. I was saved years ago, but I I've drifted and, and I know that I know better. I, I need Jesus in my life right now. I want to be saved. If that's you, would you just shoot your hand up right there where you are and say, that's me. That's me. Come on, hold it real high. I see these two hands here. God bless you. God bless you. Hold it high. See that hand back there. I see these two up here. God bless you. See that one over there on the end. God bless you. Come on. Real high. Let me see those hands. 
I see those hands in the back. God bless you. Awesome. Awesome. Anyone else before we pray? Anyone else before we pray? If you're watching online, we would love to pray with you as well. Nine people online. Amen. Praise God for that. That's awesome. It's awesome. Listen, I, I'm just going to speak it before we pray. God is ready to favor this house. We have seen blessing in an amazing way, but I just hear the Holy Spirit say, we haven't seen anything yet. I, I hear the Holy Spirit saying that. I want every voice to pray with me as we do this. With every person that raised their hand, say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. I ask you to forgive me, to come into my heart, to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give him a, resurrect, give him a resurrection praise. Come on, and a God bless you to all those that just made that decision. Anybody thankful you came to church on Easter? Amen. It's an honor to have you. Prayer team and staff, if you guys would get in place, we're going to do one more song. If you need prayer, don't leave this Easter celebration without someone praying with you and for you. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.